Dr. Katrina Fury, a psychiatrist. And I'm Portia Pendleton, a licensed clinical social worker. And And this this is Analyze Scripts, a podcast where two shrinks analyze the depiction of mental health in movies and TV shows. Our hope is that you learn some legit info about mental Mm -hmm. health while feeling like you're chatting with your girlfriends. There is so much misinformation out there and it drives us nuts. And if someday we pay off our student loans or land a sponsorship, like with a lay flat airline or a major beauty brand, even better. So sit back, relax, grab some popcorn and your DSM-5 and enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Dr. Katrina Fury, a psychiatrist. And I'm Portia Pendleton, a licensed clinical social worker. And And this this is Analyze Scripts, a podcast where two shrinks analyze the depiction of mental health in movies and TV shows. Our hope is that you learn some legit info about mental Mm -hmm. health while feeling like you're chatting with your girlfriends. There is so much misinformation out there and it drives us nuts. And if someday we pay off our student loans or land a sponsorship, like with a lay flat airline or a major beauty brand, even better. So sit back, relax, grab some popcorn and your DSM-5 and enjoy. Before we get started with this episode, we just wanted to add a trigger warning. Um, Some of this content could be disturbing to listen to. We're talking about the film Girl Interrupted, and there are some themes of suicide, disordered eating, um, and I would say institutional traumatization. Um, so, you know, again, if, if any of these themes hit too close to home or could potentially be damaging, please feel free to skip this episode and join us again next time. Otherwise, enjoy. Hi. 
Hi, thanks for joining us. Today we are going to talk about um, the hit movie Girl Interrupted, a real blast from the past from my favorite decade, the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is based on the 1993 memoir by Susanna Kaysen, um, who wrote about two years of her life spent at McLean Hospital in the 1960s in Massachusetts, um, where she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Um, Portia, so when I recommended we cover this movie, I totally, like, didn't remember the plot. I don't actually know if I saw the whole thing. I was just like, oh, yeah, there's that movie with Angelina Jolie, and she got an Oscar, and it's probably really good. I totally forgot that the main character was diagnosed with BPD, which I actually think is great for us to talk about, because we've alluded to this diagnosis in some of our other episodes. You know, I'm thinking, like, what about Bob, Succession, White Lotus, mm-hmm. um, and I still find that this is a tricky diagnosis to talk about with patients, um, to explain to patients, to explain to other people. And I thought, you know, Winona Ryder's character, like, did a great job being like, what is it? Yeah. On the borderline of what? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. And and at the time, though, like, this was new-ish, you know? I think like so. Marsha Linehan hadn't written her book yet on DBT. I don't even think there was DBT mm-hmm. yet. You know, thinking about the 1960s, I thought this film did a great job depicting what it probably was like to be psychiatrically hospitalized in the 60s, which is so different from in what it's nice like today. Place. That is very true. Yeah. So, you know, this film was filmed at Harrisburg State Hospital in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It was filmed in 1999. Um, but it was based on McLean Hospital, which is probably the, like, number one psychiatric hospital in our country um, for a long time, I think. You know, it is affiliated with Harvard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think they do still have some longer-term units like this. Yep. Um, but you see a lot of Freudian treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, she goes to therapy many times a week. She's sitting on the couch. Her therapist is standing, you know, sitting behind her. Unfortunately, falls asleep at one point, which I don't think actually happens in real life, but speaks to how she felt probably like there was a disconnect. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, hear about how she's there for two years. That just doesn't happen anymore. But in the 60s, it did. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the treatment. People used to be admitted and stay for a really long time until in the mid-1960s in the Reagan era, there was this big move, not just in our country, but, you know, internationally, um, to deinstitutionalize patients, right? So sort of close down these long-term hospitals, which we called asylums, and invest more in community mental health centers. And I think... Um, I don't know this for sure, but I believe that coincided with the invention of uh, modern-day antipsychotic medication like Thorazine um, and the other medications that came from that, like Haldol, basically medications that could treat schizophrenia Mm -hmm. um, and thereby treat these patients in a way that hopefully they didn't have to live in an institution. Sadly, you know, we haven't invested enough in the community mental health centers right. that were supposed to be created to sort of support patients. And we've had some really awful you know, side effects from that, primarily homelessness and institutionalization in jails. You know, yeah. that is the number one provider of mental health treatment in our country. How awful and disgusting is that? Um, and I, again, it's because not enough money goes into these, uh, these, you know, community mental health centers. So nowadays, you know, you might be admitted for a couple of days to really stabilize you, tweak your meds, but you're not getting this type of intensive insight-oriented therapy anymore that right. we see depicted in this movie. And I think that's really sad. You can get that if you can pay for it. Right. You know, 
Right. And it's, I mean, it's wildly expensive. Wildly expensive. And I think some places like McLean, Silver Hill, other, um, you know, hospitals might take insurance. I don't know if insurance would cover it. You know, yeah, they take some, and especially for some programs. Like I've had some people go to McLean. I've known some people to go to Silver Hills. Um, they those two places over the years have definitely um, taken more of an insurance route mm-hmm. for some of their programming mm-hmm. and other you know other tracks that they have, other parts of their residences um, or programs are not insurance based. Mm-hmm. And I think that also just speaks to like there's not a lot of people who can afford to be somewhere for a year and pay mm-hmm. that. So I think, you know, they've they've also just had to do that where it's like some of their income is insurance-based and others, you know, they are able to get private pay. And I would like to think that they would take insurance for more <laughs> situations if insurance would freaking right. pay. Right. But insurance is the worst. That's a whole nother tangent for another day. But they don't pay. They don't even pay for, you know, short stays. It's just, it's really an abomination. Yeah. So anyway, uh, getting back to the movie, um, we have an all-star cast. So Winona Ryder is playing Susanna, the main character. We have Angelina Jolie playing Lisa, um, the woman with sociopathy. Um, She won an Academy Award for this role. I think Winona Ryder did too, or maybe she was nominated. I can't remember. Um, We have Whoopi Goldberg playing Valerie, the nurse. Um, Elizabeth Moss playing Polly, the girl uh, who was a burn victim from childhood. Um, Clea Duvall mm-hmm. is played um, Georgina, Susanna's yeah, roommate. And she is in the show Veep that I, I really would love enjoy. to watch. Show. I haven't seen it before, but I've heard really good things. I, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's, it's her. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And then we have Brittany Murphy who yes. played Daisy, who that's just a, you know, tragic death and weird circumstances like on its own yeah um, but i loved her and i loved like her roles mm-hmm. in the 90s and then we had jared leto who knew playing tony yeah i was like who Surprise. i before i looked at the cast list i was like who is that why does he look so familiar i couldn't believe it it's so young i, know. I mean <laughs> like a baby they all look so young um and then we have uh jeffrey tambor playing dr melvin potts her first psychiatrist and then we see Vanessa Redgrave playing Dr. Wick, the female psychiatrist. Um, and there's a lot of other characters, uh, too, but those are just some of the the main heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you think, Portia, about, like, the opening? Um, A little confusing. I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, is this present past? Like, where, you know, and then I was confused because it, it starts with her in the hospital, right, mm-hmm. getting her stomach pumped. Then I think the very first thing is you see like a broken light bulb and a right. syringe and the girl's like in the psych right. hospital and you're like, what's going on? And then it flashes. Right. So yeah. then she like wakes up and I was like, okay, so like, was that a flashback? Was that a memory? Like, is yeah. that, is her stomach getting pumped real? Like, like I was a little on? confused with those two first yeah. scenes. Yeah, totally. And I, I wonder, I would imagine that was kind of intentional. Mm-hmm. Um and then we see her like being like pretty aggressively restrained. We see the tube down her throat, I think pumping her stomach. Um, and my first thought was like, what did she overdose on? Like this looks like they're yeah. trying to like treat her for an overdose. And then someone screams out, Oh, she's a wrist banger. And I was like, what does that yeah. mean? And she said something about there's no bones in my hand. And I was like, what is going on here? Um, but I think it did give a pretty good snapshot into her mental state at that point in time. I was like, okay, she's overdosed on something that's dangerous enough where they have to aggressively pump her stomach now. Like, we can't wait. We have to, re- like, we have to hold her down before we even get a sedative in her. Maybe back then they didn't even really have sedatives, honestly. I'm not sure when things like Ativan and stuff were invented. 
Um, and that thing about not having bones in her hand made me think, is she psychotic? Mm-hmm. Is she not? What's going on? Then we see her lock eyes with that man in the hallway yeah. who we later learn is like her dad's colleague who's married and she's had some sort of sexual relationship with mm-hmm. him. Um, and then she's pretty quickly seeing a, a psychiatrist in his home. Um, you see her looking out the door, seeing like his family yeah. and looking out the window and seeing her mom unpacking a suitcase. And I was like, uh oh. Yeah. Yep. So that I think was way and still does happen, but I think it was more common in the past with these kind of like, voluntary but involuntary um, getting someone to treatment, right? So mm-hmm. it's like whether you're an adolescent and it's not voluntary at all and your parents are taking you there. We, so, it's, so it's under their voluntary, but not telling them mm-hmm. where, where they're going. So, hey, we're going to go for a car ride. They don't know their suitcases packed and then mm-hmm. we're taking you to treatment or, you know, the horror stories of those wilderness camps where you're like literally oh, abducted in the middle of the night. Or so, you know, I was kind of thinking of that with um, Susanna being an adult, right? It's like, you know, in my head, I'm like, at any time, she can kind of back out of this. Well, can she? You know, it turns out she couldn't, right? That was also... So my question was why? Is that it was a different in the 60s? Yeah. So okay. I, I don't know the full rules, but I do know that a lot of things they depicted in terms of getting her to the hospital don't happen these days. So she's at... She's seeing this psychiatrist, right. so an old white man, by the way, Um and he doesn't he, do this anymore. He, he's, he, he, he very like readily volunteers <laughs> that like way to instill confidence in your patient. Um, I thought he was very shaming. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the way he spoke to her. He was not connecting with her. It was very clear she was like a bother to him. Mm-hmm. And that the way he was saying, like, I'm just doing this as a favor to your dad. You know, like, why are you doing this to everyone around you? Right. I just thought it was awful. Like, what a terrible way to treat someone who has just clearly attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, even if she's saying, oh, I just had a headache. I didn't mean to take that much. Like, it's it's clear what was going on. Um, and then he just puts her in a cab. And like trust the cab right. driver to take her to the psychiatric yeah, he's like, no hospital. Stops. Like okay, okay, yeah, like okay, like we don't like do that. that's his responsibility. Yeah, we hundred percent don't do that. Um, you know, if you if you need to send someone to the psychiatric hospital, hopefully you can talk with them and talk with their family and come up with a plan where they're on board. That's the ideal way, right? To sort of have have their family bring them mm-hmm. and, and they're they're voluntarily seeking help. Sometimes people aren't you know, willing to go right. and they, they need to go for their safety. And that's when, at least in the state of Connecticut, a psychiatrist can involuntarily hospitalize someone by signing what's called the Physician's Emergency Certificate or a PEC form. Mm-hmm. There's only two conditions in our state where you can, you know, basically take away someone's civil liberties by saying like you have to be institutionalized against your will. That would be if you are an imminent threat to yourself or someone else. So in terms of like suicidality or homicidal threats, or if you are so gravely disabled from your mental illness that you there is fear of your being able to survive without immediate intervention. Mm-hmm. So people who unfortunately have something like a psychotic disorder who aren't eating, who are, you know, harming themselves in some way but might not realize it, like if they have diabetes and aren't taking their insulin, you know, things like that. But it has to be really severe in order for you to be able to check that box. You can't check it for things like substance abuse. Um, That's a different type of um, involuntary commitment, and that one's really hard to get. You can also send people involuntarily to the hospital just for the eval. You know what I mean? Like cops can do that. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes people will voluntarily sign themselves in. Mm -hmm. 
once you do that, though, you can't voluntarily sign yourself out. Usually, um, you know, the the team does have to kind of be in agreement that you're ready to leave. If not, then they could petition the courts to then, you know, involuntarily commit you um, to sort of see out your treatment. But it's not like for two years anymore. Yeah. So we learn later in the movie, but that Lisa has been there for eight years. Mm-hmm. Not surprising, no. right? Given her personality pathology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like she frequently elopes, which is the fancy word to say escapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and, you know, my question was just thinking about, like, is she making herself known? You know, is she kind of coming back? Is she presenting in a hospital somewhere? Like, how are they finding her? Right. Is Are they finding her? Or is she finding right. them? Like, right. it, does she have some sort of tie of dependency mm-hmm. to the institution that's been taking care of her? Because it seems like she's, like, the leader right. in some ways, right? And I thought that... Um, I mean, what were your thoughts, Portia, of Angelina Jolie's depiction of Lisa with antisocial personality disorder? I thought it was good because you can see how those people can kind of suck others in. Yes, that right? charming and play nature. The room mm-hmm. And appear really um, like interesting and powerful mm-hmm. and fun and light. And it's almost like they know what you need. Yes. So she was all these things to different people. Yes. And then Mm -hmm. knows also how to get under people's skin, like we see with Daisy, um, in a really sinister way. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, horrific. I mean, I I didn't really, I guess, get the flair of, oh, my goodness, like, I really don't like her. She's horrible. Until that moment. Yeah, right. Until the Because she, she doesn't let it go. It wasn't just like a, oh, I kind of like threw this out there. Like, maybe someone may do that. I'm thinking maybe who has like a borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder with, you know, they're kind of pushing the limits a little bit, but mm-hmm. to take it that far is not typical. Right. And I thought at first and seeing her on the screen, I thought she was depicting BPD because she comes in very provocative. You can tell like the staff is all up in arms, right? Like uh, Nurse Valerie, played by Whoopi Goldberg, I think is helping Susanna settle in and then get some kind of someone comes in, and, like whispers in her mm-hmm. ear, like, no, oh, he's his back. And then you see like all the staff is like, ah. Um, Some of the patients there get really nervous, but then some of them are excited to see her again. I think that actually displayed the, um, you know, the concept of splitting really Mm -hmm. well, that these types of patients tend to rile people up. And some people are on the good side, some are on the bad side, and then you pit them against each other. Really manipulative. Really manipulative. Um, And so at first I thought that was the type of character she was portraying Mm -hmm. until the movie went on and you'd see her get under people's skin and then not let go. Yeah. And you could sense she got off on that. Like Mm -hmm. she even like in the rolling chair when she steals the nurse's pen and has it at her throat with that sort of suicidal gesture. Like you got the sense Mm -hmm. they've done this before. You, You knew that this nurse had opened up to her. Which is, you know, a huge, huge red flag. Don't do that. And also, though, it's like that is most likely to happen with that kind of a patient. 100%. Like they're really, really, really good at getting under your skin. And getting you to open up, yep. to feel safe and yep. comfortable. This is how serial killers abduct mm-hmm. people. Like, this is how mm-hmm. it happens. Um, so I thought she did a w- amazing job portraying both sides of yeah. that, like both the charming, fun, playful nature that attracts people and then that sinister, manipulative, sadistic side. Yeah. Um, I mean, not being impacted by Daisy's death at right? all. So like Susanna is distraught, you know, a very appropriate reaction for, you know, 
even even you know and again i'm saying this like haha but like even someone with you know a personality disorder it's like yeah because she's mm -hmm. has appropriate emotions that maybe are extreme but like wow you see someone who's who a dead body someone who's who's, hanging mm -hmm. very disturbing Mm -hmm. and you have this emotional reaction because you're a A human human with emotions right 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 and you know lisa Lisa is not she takes her money and she goes i think again that was just such smart writing and depiction. I guess I was reading that didn't actually happen. Like they didn't escape together. I was reading Mm -hmm. a little bit on on Wikipedia um, about the author's take on this movie. And I think she actually didn't love it. Um, But there were some things that didn't actually happen like that scene. So whether it happened or not, um, I hope it didn't for Daisy's sake. But um, it was really smart writing to Mm -hmm. portray these two women who are both struggling psychiatrically, but with different personality flavors. And I think you do see some overlap between the BPD and ASPD, antisocial personality disorder, which, again, are all under the same cluster of personality development, um, like the provocative nature, the splitting, the intense mood swings, the all or nothing way of thinking and feeling and relating to people. But you see how antisocial personality disorder is different. Right. Like there's not, BPD. there's lacking empathy. There's lacking, right. you know, people with BPD can relate to others. They They do experience emotions appropriately and sometimes, you know, extreme like it's right. not a lack of it in in most cases it's intense you know exactly it's like too many emotions right it's a very intense emotions for the situation but you still experience them and they're not always right quote unquote yeah. too intense right sometimes they're totally accurate um but even like the the scene with Susanna and Valerie where Susanna's in the bathtub and she says awful things to Valerie I thought I don't know about you but I felt like that was the scene where I really saw the BPD side of Susanna. Kind of like until then, I was like, oh, I don't really know if I buy that mm-hmm. she has this diagnosis or if she's just yeah. like a struggling adolescent. You know, like maybe it's a little too early to diagnose her with something like this. But then she really throws out like racial slurs, um, really derogatory things because I think Valerie was trying to connect with her. And I think for someone with BPD, that feels very scary, right? Like, it's like you crave attachment and you also fear it because you might lose it. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that was her trying to, like, push her away in a really extreme way. And then later, though, you see that Susanna has a lot of remorse and guilt for what she yeah. said, whereas someone like Lisa would not. Mm-hmm. Daisy's character as well is very interesting. Fascinating. You know, I think there's a lot there. Um, I think also if if we're going on what Lisa said is true, which sounded like her dad was molesting her for years. And right? again, like no one else had kind of brought that up. And I do feel like people with sociopathic traits have this like uncanny ability to like sniff these things out and pull them out. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how. Uh, but they they do. They can sense this stuff and pull it out and really dig at yeah. you. Yeah. So, so, you know, we didn't know that until that scene where she was kind of pushed over the edge, but, you know, she talked about being wealthy a lot. Um, it seemed like she was abusing laxatives. She wanted, you know, they were kind of trading colace for Valium, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, can happen at residential or inpatient mm-hmm. places. That's mm-hmm. why you're typically supposed to show, you know, your your mouth, you lift your tongue, move it around to right. show that you're not tonguing meds. Right, or cheeking them yeah. or, you know, um, like throwing them up afterwards mm-hmm. before they've been metabolized. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, a, a part that's just, I mean, it, it can happen. It is mm-hmm. what it is. But It does know, happen. The trading is just so unhelpful, right? Because it's like, you don't know... <laughs> 
what drugs you're trading something for that then you're taking could be interacting with something else that your prescriber is mm-hmm. giving you that they don't know that you're doing this and mm-hmm. very dangerous. Do not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I thought and maybe you can speak on this a little bit. It was interesting, which I know would never happen. Right. So before she's seen by a medical and I'm talking uh, about Susanna. Yeah. Before she's evaluated or sees any psychiatrist there, she, she's already taking medication and they're giving yes. her a laxative. Why? I thought they were giving her a sleeping pill at first. Well, I guess they also gave her colis. Right. Um, well, anyway, but any medication. It- yeah. So there were definitely, you know, so, I would say some some positive elements of the movie about the way they depicted mental health treatment back at that time as it was. It could be at these, like, beautiful institutions mm-hmm. um, where you would have, like, a nurse's station. Then the patients would have their rooms. There'd be a common area. There would be um, other rooms, like the art room, the music yep. room, stuff like that. I think even nowadays at more residential-type places, you try to have that mm-hmm. stuff so that during the day, you're not just sitting around. There's right. some All therapeutic intervention. Yeah. Right. So that I thought was pretty positive and spot on. I thought it probably – I would imagine McLean still might kind of look like that. The things that I thought were not great was that, like you said, she didn't see a psychiatrist at all, and she's already taking medication. Like, that doesn't happen nowadays. And like, she wasn't already on, on it. it. Right. Yeah. It's not like they were continuing what yeah. she was on. But even for that, right. you know, like, <laughs> if you're admitted to a psychiatric hospital and you get to the unit at 3 o'clock in the morning, there's a psychiatrist on staff who will at least come and do a physical exam. Listen to your heart. Listen to your lungs. Check your blood pressure. You're getting labs. You're getting labs done. You're make, maybe you need an EKG just because they might have heard like a murmur or you're on a medication. They want to make sure that, you know, your your heart is functioning okay, especially her who just had like a recent overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go through like, do you have any allergies? What other medications do you take? Do you have any dietary preferences? Nowadays, they also ask, you know, like, what are your pronouns? Do you? You know, all of this stuff happens the second you hit the floor. It doesn't wait till the morning. You might not meet your primary treater and get into the therapy side of mm-hmm. things at three o'clock in the morning, but you would have that done. Yeah. And you would talk about what medications they were going to prescribe or not. And why. And why. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't like that. And you can't force anyone to take medication. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that was inaccurate and made me upset is like when she would, ex- when Susanna would express, like, yes, I don't want to yes. take this, you can't force them. That is totally coercive. You can't do that. You need a court order to give anyone medication, which sometimes, you know, you do have to apply for. And sometimes it is granted, like if you have a patient with really severe chronic schizophrenia who needs, you know, their their um, injectable antipsychotic to maintain wellness. That that gets really mm-hmm. tricky. Um, but for stool softener, no one's forcing you to take a stool softener. Yeah. Okay. And like you said, they do like tongue and cheek checks mm-hmm. and make sure you are taking your medication. Right. Um, and they depicted that sometimes, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, the chicken carcasses. What do you think about that? <laughs> um, interesting. I mean, there was some, it, it seemed like she does like purge, right? So either laxative use or there was some um, alluding to like maybe some binging, like some mm-hmm. little bit of bulimia, both at the unit and then when she was in her apartment that made me think that again i mean i'm going very loosely mm-hmm. making that diagnosis i also would say that and the other patient on the unit who appears to have anorexia which Ugh. you know the weird comment of she's like yelling about wanting her clothes and then the nurse says then you'll have to eat something like does not happen now right. you yeah, can't no, no, like no. manipulate people to eat and hold up 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Also, that's typically why there are now so many separate units. Like it's it's very mm-hmm. unhelpful and um, doesn't happen frequently to have eating disorder patients within a general psych population. Like they're, they are, I think, inpatient, like in a hospital can go to Like a medical. But even then, there are very specific, and I think there's really only like a couple in the country, but there's a Q in, um, out west, and then there is Walden and McLean mm-hmm. um, out east, where they have inpatient units mm-hmm. specifically for that, because I think it's so important for staff to be trained yes. in a very, very, very specific yes. way. I did think some of the stuff they portrayed, like not giving you your clothes until you eat, doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Other stuff, though, that they portrayed, like her exercising all the time on the unit, super accurate. Yeah. And that's one of the things that the staff get trained in mm-hmm. is like being able to pick up these subtle ways of like exercising yeah. in an attempt to burn calories and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, well, a lot of patients will share that if they are admitted into like a general hospital and and they do have primary ED, it's often like the worst time, which again is probably for many different reasons. One, they're so medically compromised. Mm-hmm. Two, this is like the beginning of the long road of mm-hmm. often then maybe you're switching to an inpatient mm-hmm. ED unit and then residential and then PHP and then mm-hmm. IOP. There is some controversy in the fee in the in the community with um like the ethics around tube feeding Mm -hmm. there's there's even more controversy within it if you are being tubed um placing and pulling same day Uh. or for each meal to like get you off the tube they want to eat and typically you're tubed if you're really 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 malnourished or if you're refusing Mm -hmm. um they will like again i don't think they can make you without a court order but they'll like do that if you're refusing. Yeah, I think that gets really tricky. And it's probably when they call for like a capacity evaluation Mm -hmm. where, you know, a psychiatrist, I would believe, or a medical doctor could do it too. Um, A medical doctor being like internal medicine, someone who's not a psychiatrist, but still a physician would evaluate, you know, does this patient have the capacity to refuse meals Mm -hmm. when they're this malnourished? Or is that malnourishment causing impaired cognitive like what is the ethical decision of like can you make this decision knowing it's going to hasten your death or not i mean that's probably a huge ethical and there was a case with that and the judge sided with the patient and the patient went on to die um they went into hospice care so i mean it's just it's really horrible um do not recommend but these places are like there for you because you are that ill, you know, right. so you really need the support. So anyway, Janet should be, I think, in a more specialized unit where she's getting meal coaching other than just being like um, 
threatened yeah. <laughs> or withholding other things. Right. I think there were there were some eating disorder places around. Renfrew's really old. They're, they started in Philadelphia. They're all over now, but they're like the oldest um, big center for eating disorders. So like I, if they were open then, like she should have been there. Yeah. Um, I think she probably would have gotten better care and more more specialized care. So she should transfer if it opens soon in yeah. the 60s. <laughs> and well, and I'm just thinking too, like back in that time in the mid 60s, I feel like the, a lot of the treatment was still very psychoanalytic, mm-hmm. right? So I could, I don't know how much it's of like the, about your mother. Like, yes. Like, Let's lie down and, and talk about your mom. And as a psychodynamic psychotherapist, I so fully believe in... It's, there's huge connections in cases. for that. Yeah, in certain instances, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, both. You right. know, we need meal coaching. We need behavioral treatment, yes. which often is DBT. And we absolutely need... But I will say, too, like at that level of care, it's really hard. I think when you're when you're also that malnourished to, to exactly. be able to do that kind That's of what work. I was going to say. Yeah. Right. Like at the right time for the right mm-hmm. patients like not i feel like back then and again i don't know i wasn't alive in the 60s but i feel like that's what everyone got yeah and maybe that was like all we really had mm-hmm. back then like we didn't really have the the antipsychotics and stuff were just starting to come out um maybe like cbt dbt these things i don't know i don't think they were mm-hmm. like really out there yet um so yeah, I, I would imagine Janet was getting substandard care based on today's standards. And then it's like, well, I think Susanna was getting really good care based on today's yeah. standards. The difference in the comparison right. is really interesting. And I wanted to just, if you if you haven't listened yet, check out our episode on Shutter Island. Yes. Because that was in, I think, the, around the, the same, late the 50s, um, the mid to early 50s. So that's not that far off from this movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe though 10 years can make a difference. However, I think this is also again like a private institution mm-hmm. versus, versus a forensic like a state forensic yeah. unit. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it's a really interesting to sort of watch both of those and kind of compare and contrast them. And they do get some of the historical points accurate. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, back in the 60s again that was when a lot of these hospitals were being shut down in an effort to have people be treated in the community which again mm-hmm. is like great like let's do it but like let's pony right. up the money yeah. to actually do it guys you know yeah no totally that's that's a huge problem so anyway there was a lot of other things wrong like the orderly having um oh my like god sexual relations even with like them, them allowing her to like make out or have sex with her boyfriend like no you're not letting like when people come to visit you you don't just get to go behind closed doors and have a conjugal right. visit it's like a therapy session yeah or you're playing a game you know it's out in the open yeah like it's visiting time there's boundaries like yeah. especially for a patient like her and like how did the girls keep escaping and going to the basement all the time like there's people on staff overnight the room check thing was accurate oh like, yeah you yeah. do come in and do checks at first they are every 15 minutes so i think that's like really disruptive to your sleep and we know how important sleep is to your mental health so it's just i've done checks i was i only had to do one um thank goodness because i'm not a overnighter gal but when i worked at a residential um i did get like mandated to stay once overnight and having to do 10 minute checks like on a new patient because you know typically when they're new they're on like the highest level of watch right so um oh it just sucks (laughs) a because i wasn't used to being on night shift but um yeah it's really it's really hard to do as, as a as an employee or as a, you know, a mental health professional. And then also, like, I'm sure the patient didn't love it either. Right, because they're not just, like, opening the door to see if you're there. They have to make sure you're safe, right? right. So if you're turned and facing the wall and sleeping, they have to, like, shine the light in your eye, mm-hmm. make sure, like, not only are you breathing, but, like, you're not hoarding some sort of weapon right. or, like, things like that. Um, so that actually was accurate. But then I was like, if they're doing the checks, 
there's no one in the hallways. Like, that's just not yeah. how it happens. Yeah. I don't think they would have been able to escape. I thought this scene with them all reading their files was fascinating. Mm. And to me, it kind of reminds me of like nowadays when patients have access to their notes and stuff like that and how that is interesting and I think different for someone reading their note from like their primary care annual physical yep. and their therapy the notes, yeah. right? Uh, what were your thoughts about all that? Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about this in another episode, but I'm going to bring it up again. Like, you know, you're supposed to write your note like there's a lawyer on one shoulder and the patient on the other, you know. So I think, though, with more electronic medical records and with more open um, chart things, like we have mm -hmm. my chart here. I, maybe that's that's international. Maybe it's national. It's basically where you can log in, you know, send mm -hmm. a message to your, to your provider, look at your lab work, et cetera, schedule appointments, also see the notes. Mm -hmm. And so there's there are some questions around, you know, what is – is it helpful or not for that to be in the mental health world? And is there like a level of notes that that should be shared versus not? Like what's helpful? Um, what do you think? I think that patients should absolutely have access to like treatment plans. Um, I think that having access to all of your notes all the time reading them on your own yeah. is unhelpful. I totally agree. I think if if you need to see the notes you should be going over them with the provider Together. so you can explain things so there if there's any questions or context they can ask questions and, and not feel any kind of, it shouldn't be negative and they mm -hmm. might be like oh well, what is that like what what, what did that mean mm -hmm. and then you're there to like explain exactly what right. that meant right and i think though like kind of like these women reading their files, it can be jarring. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I'd want to read my psychological assessment of myself mm -hmm. by myself. Like, yeah. I feel like that's like really looking I think it's in, more damaging. It can be. And I think it can really damage the therapeutic alliance yeah. with your provider too, because not everything you're observing, the patient's going to see. And that's going to be and hard. might not be ready to see. Right. And, you know, I'll just say, too, just for clarity, like, we're, we're not writing, we're not talking shit about you in your right. notes. Right. We're, we're writing things from our perspective, from our professional perspective of what's happening. Sometimes maybe we're wrong, too. Right, like, right. we interpreted something wrong. Right. So it's just, it's really for documenting purposes. It's it's for billing. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes we might not do it perfectly. So I think that's, you know, I would leave, we lead with that preference. And I think we with, again, notes and stuff like that being more and more open, I feel like they've just become less and less uh, helpful, I guess. You know, like you leave mm -hmm. so much out and you just have to like keep it in your right. head. Right, right. Um, that it's kind of, it's kind of unfortunate. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do find myself being like, well, if this person ever read this, how would they feel about this? And I do think that can go both ways. Like yeah. on the one hand, I think it can help you remain um, compa not compassionate, but help you re like stay in a neutral space and a lot of times be mindful of your own like unconscious biases mm -hmm. um, and be like, well, why am I putting this word in? Does it really need to be there or right, not? Right. And on the negative side, it can, you know, make you like withhold things that really should be there, mm -hmm. but you're worried about like if they read it before they're ready, how's that going to affect them? How will that affect our therapeutic alliance and their future treatment? And is that worth it right you know is that potential negative effect worth it mm -hmm. it's real tricky it is no i totally agree it's 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 nuanced i think mm -hmm. there i think most providers feel the same way we yeah. do
But I did think how interesting that this film, you know, filmed decades ago, based on a time even further in the past, mm-hmm. is still like on the pulse with something really yeah. active, like in the mental health field presently. And I also thought it amazingly depicted how mental health providers really struggle to tell people their diagnoses, like directly. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like none of these girls really knew, Yeah, what am I here for? What am I being treated for? Some of them did. They were like, oh, Elisa, you're a sociopath. We all know this, you know? But like Susanna being like, borderline personality disorder, what is that? And then when she's in her family therapy I- session... She's like, what is that? And apparently the doctor's been telling her parents. But not her. her. Right. And she is an adult. This isn't like a 14-year-old. And especially, I don't know about you, Portia, but I feel like in the mental health field, we like tiptoe around this diagnosis. And so like we're so hesitant to talk about it and share it with people. And like, why do you think that is? I think because like societally, there are negative connotations with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that at least that's my like discomfort sometimes Mm -hmm. versus I think the more we accurately diagnose people who have borderline and talk about it, the better care they will get because then we know the treatment plan. And And they can get better. We have more than people to participate in studies. There's more Mm -hmm. research. Like I Mm -hmm. think it's like we really should be accurately diagnosing the disorder Mm -hmm. and also teaching clients about it and giving Mm -hmm. them education is like best practice. But I think in our society, like BPD has a lot of negative, even I think it's even like joked about. Oh, I'm sure. um, you're 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 crazy, and it's you know it's females. Like, yeah, I think you know we we obviously we're careful of that, but I think ultimately like it does more damage not sharing or being for too sure hesitant. But you know, again, diagnosing someone with a personality disorder does not happen immediately at one assessment. So right. if you're getting there with tons of data and information, and over time, it's like you're you're probably there, right? right? So let's just call it what it is. Right. But yeah, I think you know that reminds me of like early on in the movie when. I think it's in this scene when she's like um, reading her file and she sees like a cluster of diagnoses at the beginning. I can't remember what they were. Do you remember what they were? Yeah, they're they're not like they're not accurate uh, today anymore. We like call them different things now. So it says um, psychoneurotic depressive reaction, Mm. personality pattern disturbance, resistant mixed type, Mm. um, and then un. RO different undifferentiated schizophrenia. Those were yeah, and then all of a sudden at the bottom it's like final diagnosis yep. borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder. So can you imagine again? It's like okay, she's reading all these words. Like even as a psychiatrist, I don't understand what those early diagnoses mean because we don't use them anymore. Yeah. There are a lot of big words yeah. that are confusing. So it's really hard for her to make sense of like mm-hmm. what does that mean? And she goes and grabs it looks like a DSM or something and starts reading about it and is like all up in arms. And I just think like what a sad way for her to find out and yeah. then to also hear it in the family therapy where her parents know before she knows, mm-hmm. but we're all keeping it quiet, like don't right. talk about it. Um, and I think, you know, I loved when she said, borderline of what? Like, what does that mean? And, um, you know, the way I was taught to think about it and where I think the phrase comes from, and again, I will say, I don't love that we call certain things personality disorders. I feel like even that phrase is really stigmatizing. I don't know of a better one, though. Well, and so much of we find in patients who have borderline personality disorder, there typically is some sort of attachment trauma. Yes. And so I I would love for there to be a more specific 
um, trauma diagnosis other than PTSD. Or complex PTSD. Right, that talks yeah. more about like attachment and yes. how that then impacts relationships. I think Moving that would forward. be so much like even more just of a better fit for yeah. people to understand. Right, 100%. And I think like when we use the word borderline, I believe where it came from is, again, hearkening back to those psychoanalytic days, which we see in this movie, of thinking about like what are the defense mechanisms different people with different illnesses tend to use to live with and cope with their illness. And when we think of people um, in broad strokes, we think of people falling into what we call like the neurotic realm of personality development. These are people with like anxiety disorders, OCD, um, things eating like disorders, that, eating disorders. Yeah. And then we think on the other end of the spectrum are people with psychotic disorders who use different types of defense mechanisms that are disconnected from reality, whereas people with neurotic disorders are maybe like uber connected to reality or a little too in their head. Borderline falls in the middle where you sort of display some neurotic defense mechanisms and some psychotic mm. defense mechanisms. Um that doesn't make sense to the average person. And even as I'm trying to explain it, it's really confusing. Yeah. Um, you know, but these are patients that she did say in the movie, which was accurate, you know, like with a, an unstable sense of self, um, unstable moods, like a lot of mood swings, um, you know, some, again, s some safety concerns in the most severe cases, which mm -hmm. we see with her right at the beginning. Um, but again, it's like, what I also loved about this movie was when they captured her at this age, because some of these personality traits, again, not the safety concerns, like we'll put that over here on the side, but some of the other stuff, the big mood swings, the idealization, yeah. devaluation, the splitting, that is normal in development from when you're very young, like born, to as you're growing up into adolescence, and then as your brain matures and you mature, you're able to sort of hold on to good and bad feelings and thoughts simultaneously. Mm -hmm. But that takes time. It does. And so a lot of people are also really hesitant to make this diagnosis, I hope, in a teenager or mm -hmm. young adult until you really see it, you know, these traits and these um, um, issues sort of right. being persistent and present across like all different mm -hmm. facets of yeah. someone's life and over a long period of time. Um Otherwise, you know, it does raise the question of like, is this just quote unquote like normal adolescent angst? Like, right. yeah, the suicide attempt, no. Um, but some of her questions to uh, Dr. Wick, like, well, how many partners is promiscuous mm -hmm. and what is it for a man? Like, totally trapped. Right. And for the time, just mm -hmm. thinking of being in the 60s, mm -hmm. you know, I think like thinking of Susanna and then her mom, like yeah. I, I would say like probably very different um, expectations for how to behave. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they talk the Vietnam War, there's the draft mm -hmm. going on. So I think this is also just like a very culturally changing time. Yeah, for where so some many of reasons. Her behaviors might seem so um, unsafe besides the safety safety issues like the promiscuity that they keep talking mm -hmm. about to even the doctors right because mm -hmm. they're of that other generation as well yeah that maybe is having just more of that judgment or, or thinking it's more of a behavior than her just like right in the 60s as mm -hmm. a young adult like expressing herself and her sexuality right and then it's like well yeah and you know having sex with an older man who's married Again, I felt like there was so much like almost blame put on her, but it's like, what about him? Like, right, the mom, <laughs> she, they're at the ice cream yeah. store for that scene, and that wife and daughter come in, and you know, Susan, um, 
Susanna. Susanna is trying to like kind of hide herself initially, and then the mom sees her, comes over, and is like totally chastises her. her. That, you know, it's her fault, and it's also like, okay, so you're not. But of course, right? Of like you're so you're not blaming the adult in the situation, right? Your husband who's exactly. married, right? And you know, she's single, she's young. Like, right. of course, it's you know, not, it's it's her fault, right? It, it, there's all these assumptions and a lot of blame on her, but it's like, what about him, right? And like taking advantage of a younger girl, and again, not saying that there aren't cases where maybe the younger girl is more of the instigator i guess you could say but still i I was like i see her point here well and then he was continuing to want to follow up and she remember at the beginning she was like no and kind of shuts the door on him so you know even even that felt like it was a little bit more on him or else it was going to be more on him but at the ice cream scene i do think that that is when Susanna does kind of or lisa's actions to kind of save Susanna is where Susanna does like really align with her mm. and that's how that then you know then Lisa gets her like trust on her connection side. and I think Lisa allegiance. with her sociopathic traits can do like can mm-hmm. sniff out who's vulnerable yeah. and I do think people with BPD are vulnerable too you know, attracting toxicity or finding themselves in these toxic relationships, like hearkening back to Tanya from White mm-hmm. Lotus. You know, as we're talking now, I'm wondering if that suicide attempt was somehow connected to that relationship with that man. Like if in some way she felt rejected mm-hmm. and then attempted suicide. Um, and if somehow like maybe the doctors knew that and we didn't quite hear that as the viewer. Um, but that to me would give more of like more evidence for a true BPD type of diagnosis where, you know, really the core inner wound and fear is, you know, related to attachment and feelings of abandonment or rejection are really hard um, to navigate. I think as we wrap up, um, I wanted to just ask you, do you think Lisa would have actually been crying at the end? I did think her and the four-point restraints were, those are what restraints Mm -hmm. look like. Even these days, restraining someone is like the soul-crushing thing that that you have to do sometimes as a psychiatrist um, on inpatient units like this when there's a real safety issue right. happening. Uh, we try to do it in the least restrictive ways possible. You do see another character earlier in the movie in a straitjacket. Mm-hmm. We really don't use those anymore. Um, but what you saw depicted is what straitjackets looked like yep. and they were used back then. Do you think Lisa would have cried with um, Susanna's departure? If If the tears were real, they would have to be about Lisa. Like yeah, I don't there's... think she's. Yeah, I don't think she's feeling sad right. to lose her friend. I think she's being manipulative. Uh, if right, the tears right. are real, like, it's like about her to make Susanna feel bad mm-hmm. for saying all those things. Yeah. I think that is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think a true sociopath is capable of having tears or really caring. You know, if someone's coming or mm-hmm. going. Right. I also think just like to add to Lisa is that the reason that we wanted to deinstitutionalize people is because you can become institutionalized mm-hmm. where you get used to living in a state like that which i would also say you're around trauma a lot and yes. chaos and 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 it's scary upsetting things so i think that that also after eight years i would imagine like changes someone so, and you become you know, like dependent know, on the institution exactly. like why she's there and over you know and sure but like for her to be there for eight years i think also must impact her Mm-hmm. everything so mm-hmm. i'm just curious even just thinking about like what is that done to her mm-hmm. you know that's probably you know that's why we like to keep people in the communities in their communities mm-hmm. it is what's best when there are enough resources so i think that's also just something to think about mm-hmm. like how how have the eight years um 
been there for her right. impacted her right it, it's kind of like what we see when people are in the criminal justice system for a long time and then they get released and they reoffend and come back mm-hmm. like sometimes they don't know right. how to survive anymore like outside of an institution like that All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please um, feel free to rate the episode with five stars and then check Mm -hmm. us out on Instagram at Analyze Scripts and TikTok at Analyze Scripts Podcast. And we would love for you also to subscribe. Mm -hmm. Um, We have gotten a little bit of a bump this week and we're really excited about it. So Mm -hmm. we do see every subscriber add on. It brings us joy. So if you'd like to participate in that, feel free. And spread the news. Mm -hmm. All right. See you next Monday. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This podcast and its contents are a copyright of Analyzed Scripts, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited. Unless you want to share it with your friends and rate, review, and subscribe, that's fine. All stories and characters discussed are fictional in nature. No identification with actual persons, living or deceased, places, buildings, or products is intended or should be inferred. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The podcast and its contents do not constitute professional, mental health, or medical advice. Listeners might consider consulting a mental health provider if they need assistance with any mental health problems or concerns. As always, please call 911 or go directly to your nearest emergency room for any psychiatric emergencies. Thanks for listening and see you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Thanks for listening and see you next time.